Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. And welcoming to the podcast today, James Reeves. James is an author, coach, teacher and trainer. I first came across his work and teachings when I was completing my training in Yoga Nidra. James is a world leading teacher and was the first in Europe to deliver IRS Yoga Nidra teacher training courses, a research backed program based on the ancient teachings of Yoga Nidra. James makes the teachings relevant and accessible for modern day living and shows us how the healing benefits of the practice can apply to us all. As a coach, James offers a course called The Awakened Leader, which is a deep rest and resilience program for leaders, CEOs, executives and entrepreneurs. He also offers mentoring, one-to-one coaching and deep rest sessions. James is the co-author of The Book of Rest, published by HarperCollins. The book invites us to find calm in a chaotic world. It describes rest as a doorway to your internal anchor, one that can always be found and remains accessible regardless of external events. Welcome to the podcast, James. Thanks so much, Jen. It's so lovely to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me along. Oh, no, you were always kind of top of the list, really, because I've I've seen you on Zoom a lot, but in a, I've attended your Yoga Nidra sessions, which were so beautiful, and I loved your teachings as well. So thank you for those. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm glad that you've had some experience. I guess that will make it more juicy for us to talk about the topic. <laughs> yes, which is resilience. And actually, um, well, as you know, I then got my husband into your teachings and he's actually completed his teacher training with you. And I said, oh, if you've got James's book, because um, I'm going to speak to him. And he's like, well, the book isn't about resilience. And I was like, oh, I thought that was exactly what it was about. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you can put us, uh, like, give us your view on it. But yeah, I, I totally thought the book was about resilience. What is resilience to you? And is this something that you've been focusing on? Yeah, that's a very interesting thing. Well, I think resilience is, is a word that started to rise up as a, um, as a counter or an opposite to burnout and overwhelm which I believe really impacted people through the pandemic and post-pandemic you know post-pandemic fatigue I'm not sure whether that's a thing I think I may have heard it somewhere but it's definitely you know experientially a thing and uh, it struck me as I went through some changes through the pandemic that I would really like to get closer to this subject because actually the book of rest is about overwhelm and burnout although that's not necessarily up in lights it's really an antidote to what we could say is a kind of modern cultural phenomenon which is there's so much isn't there I mean maybe it's just me and my funny little world but there's just so much that we're all trying to take in and do and manage and be on top of and there's so much comparison then with everybody else that presents their shiny version of themselves through social media and we just it seems to me like everybody's running at breakneck speed to try and catch up or keep keep up with with something, and I don't even know whether people know what the something is, <laughs> other than an ideal or an idea. So yeah, the the book of rest is about resilience. But if I just um, share for a moment something that really struck me 
as I was developing this resilience for leaders program, I, I looked up some definitions of resilience and, and I live around Oxford. So I went with the Oxford English dictionary. <laughs> and what's interesting is that it actually defines it in two ways. It talks about toughness in the way that, you know, a, a hard metal is difficult to dent without some serious force. And I think that's mostly what we think about resilience as, which is, you know, a toughness, like to toughen up, take it, handle it, build up your nervous system, build your power, build your strength. I get that. But then what interested me that it's also about being able to be flexible and malleable and adaptable. And that is a direct description of our brain. Our brain is very plastic and very capable of change and adapting to circumstances. But in a, in a deeper way, and I think the thing that is often overlooked in the context of resilience is that it's as much about the softer side of things, about rest, about emotional intelligence, about recognizing when we can't be any tougher. You know, when is, when is, is, you know, enough, enough? When is enough too much? And at what point do we have to recognize we can't just keep putting on plates of armor to try and defend ourselves? And what might be underneath that? And how can we become more malleable, adaptable, flexible? And how can we really learn to embrace this softer side of resilience? And how do we do that? Okay, I'm happy to give. I mean, I'm I'm like everybody else in life, building my wings on the way down. You know, I don't I don't want to present myself as some expert in a field or any of that kind of stuff. As a human being, just like every other human being, I'm working it out. But here's my my take on how we do that. The first thing is, when we hit the wall. And maybe we've picked ourselves up a few times after hitting the wall and we push on with intensity, but maybe at one of those points, we just stop. We recognize that we've reached a limit. And ideally, and this is the idea of of my program, is to stop before we absolutely can't go on. And that's the problem with burnout is often people don't listen to the signs, don't know what's coming until it absolutely smacks them on the nose. But at a certain point, we have to recognize life is asking us to stop. We've had too much. You know, in the same way that if, you know, ice cream parlors are great, I go to them regularly with my kids, or maybe your thing is is something else. Maybe you don't like ice cream. Maybe, you know, maybe you like tiramisu. Maybe you like cheese, whatever it might be. But if you had no off button for cheese, things would be really bad in your life. But we seem to, as human beings, have no off button for stimulus and for information coming in and as a result of it we've become we've been gorging ourselves for far too long on too much and life is like this you know i'm making this up as i go along like i said but if i go roll with the analogy life is like a buffet isn't it you know for for many of us we have the resources you know the the financial wealth enough money to do and experience so many things in our lives So there's no limit on that. And if there's no social limit that's that's, um, trying to mirror or echo or teach or show us that it's okay to stop, and if there's this constant sense of 
having to keep up with everybody and everything and more and better and bigger, then, you know, we, we need to go on some kind of diet for that. And I believe that's what rest is all about. That's what stopping is all about. And then there are some components that hopefully we'll unpack and talk about as part of mm. this conversation. Yeah, so rest. I mean, is that just me sitting on the sofa scrolling through Instagram with my feet up? Or do I have to do something a little bit more for that rest? What What is it for you? <laughs> I mean, I've read the book, so I know it's not that. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. But I, I really like how you're being playful with it. Because for most of us, that is rest. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I do it. Bag of Maltesers in one hand, maybe some sort of craft beer in the other hand. Maybe not the craft beer, that comes and goes for me. But um, yeah, that's an option for sure. And it gets you close to rest. But actually, when we think about what resting is, it's about really stopping and learning to do nothing, which is incredibly challenging. When you've been running at breakneck speed through your life, and that this is what I see time and time again with people that do have burnout that I work with. Stopping is incredibly challenging. They know they have to. They've reached the wall. They've gone beyond it in some ways. But then how do I, how do, I do that? How do I stop? So it's a whole uh, mindset thing, just recognizing the value and getting initially getting through some of the roadblocks to that. So I teach this... Um, as, as part of some of my courses or weekends or the user area that I have on my website, we just explored this, what I call roadblocks blocks to rest. And there seems to be a few kind of common maladies around not being willing to stop. One of them is guilt. Um, this is something that is indulgent or I have other responsibilities or everybody else seems to be carrying on or coping or managing, you know, I can't possibly sit on the sofa for 10 minutes and, and do nothing. You know, I've got to at least be keeping up with all of the box sets that are out there on Netflix, you know, so that I can have a social conversation, but there's some degree of guilt and that could be imposed upon us by a caregiver teacher, someone from our younger days who, you know, smacked me around the head and said, Reeve, stop staring out the window, you know, concentrate, focus. And that teacher didn't realize that I was trying to work out a really creative solution to the problem that I'd been set or processing some difficult emotions from my morning at home or whatever it may be. So those voices then echo on into our current state. And like I said, also then that's exacerbated by a sort of social, um, maybe not social guilt, but this ties into the next theme, fear of missing out. If I'm not doing something then and everybody else is doing something, I'm going to get left behind, um, which I feel the remedy of, of, of fear of missing out is, is Jomo, the joy of missing out. <laughs> I, love, I love saying that. <laughs> I love saying no, right? I'm not going to that. I'm going to you know, lie down and do nothing. This weekend, just gone. I put the, the Spotify playlist ambient dreamscapes, which is a bit like walking around in a dream <laughs> housework at the pace of a sloth and then led on the sofa for hours and hours and get, I've got to have a beautiful view out of my windows. And I just stared out into nature and I walked very slowly and I essentially had a real stop and it was very nourishing and it was great to say no to the other things I could have done which were anything from that, that box set to social engagements to, you know, some more work or whatever it may be. And the guilt thing, I mean, here's, here's to me the remedy to, to that. 
guilt versus responsibility. Guilt's very disempowering. It's just, it's, it makes us feel small, shrunken down. Um, we've lost our potency when we are feeling guilty. But when we realize in a simple way, when you learn to stop and do nothing, you do it a few times and you realize, oh my word, I'm a much nicer human being as a result of this. You know, I, I am going to be less reactive, more responsive. I mean, in my framework and my life to my kids, they're my primary kind of con- concern and relationships. I'm going to be nicer with my children. My mood will be elevated. I'm going to have better memory. I'm going to have insight. So instead of running around doing that thing that I thought was really important two hours ago, now I realize that's an utter waste of my time and I've got something much more inspirational as a result of, and we can talk more about it, but essentially, you know, processing and stillness that allows us to get down to those quieter, more intuitive knowings, if I could say it, and get in touch with our much more creative version of ourselves. It'll save you hundreds of hours thousands of hours in your life just by stopping and realizing the, the route that you were going down actually maybe i don't want to be here at all so there's a responsibility that we have to rest actually if we're going to be good caregivers if we're going to be you know caregivers f- for, for our community our family our planet if we are going to make good choices and healthy choices we have that responsibility to rest and my kids have got used to it. You know, if, I've, if I'm if i with them for a stint, uh, so I share them with with their, their mum, my ex-partner. And, you know, in my world, if I'm cooked, I'll just lie down on the floor. And they love it. And, you know, after Luca, my youngest, my son has jumped on my head a few times and, you know, been like, yeah, daddy. They just settle into it and they get into it too. So we can stop as long as guilt's not in the way, as long as we're not worried about missing out on something and um, worried about time slipping away from us, that's another one. Uh, And I spoke to that a little bit in the sense of you will save yourself so much time by stopping. But the big one, and this is mostly what the book is about, is really the terror of facing ourselves. When I stop, I'm going to have to meet all of the feelings I've been possibly running from all of this time. I'm going to have to meet what's going on in my inner world. I'm going to have to meet the, you know, initially the chaos of my mind, my restlessness. I'm going to have to tend to that. So we need to know what to do about that. And hopefully we can talk a bit more, Jen, and, and, and explore that in the conversation. And and where does this fit in with resilience? Is This is going to help us foster that flexibility and adaptability by resting like tell me why it's important that we take this time Mm, yeah well where does it fit in with resilience if i walk you through the pillars of the program that i run for leaders uh, and i've just finished taking a a cohort of a small group through and that the feedback has been amazing so the, the, really the first phase or first stage is, is overcoming overwhelm, which is by learning to stop. And I teach what I would call constructive rest practices, which is um, that people are invited essentially to swap out thinking for feeling by attending to or bringing their attention into body sensations. It's a classical practice that can be found in things like mindfulness, it's the end of any 
in my by my measure any good yoga class if it doesn't have that rest at the end i'm i'm not interested um by learning to essentially attend to sensation and notice our breathing our mind shifts from what's called the default mode network so our blah 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 self-narrative autobiographical um negativity biased self uh, which is a worry war. It's essentially a catastrophizer. Yeah, there's this thing happening and I know it's going to be bad. That's your default mode network. And it's trying to help you. It's trying to help you work it, work things out. But we can learn to slip out of that mindset towards a simple in the moment experience. And some people need more guidance than others. And, and in my program, I do two things. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because that actually the very first part of the program is... I want you every morning to, to spend five minutes doing nothing. And at least two people in the program kind of wrote or said to me, either at that time or afterwards, I thought, you know, I can't believe I've just paid into a program and, and you're asking me to do nothing. For five <laughs> but I didn't realize how challenging it would be to simply stop. So just simply so, sit down or stand whatever you're doing in just five minutes. Sit down. No structure. Yeah, sit down. Do nothing. No structure. <laughs> and, and where that's going, I mean, I'm actually teaching meditation as in very real depth meditation by stealth, because ultimately the act of, of meditating isn't an activity. It is just a full stop. It's just noticing. But um, asking people to stop, that becomes like a measure. So you can measure this for yourself if you're listening. If you can stop easily for five minutes and you're not beseeched by um, the state of your inner world, <laughs> then do 10, do 15, do 20. And, and if you can make an hour every week where you agree to literally put your phone in another room um, and not even get up to make a cup of tea or, you know, potter around or any of those things, if you just stop, I guarantee you, you'll feel amazing. You'll feel absolutely amazing. And you'll go, whoa, I haven't felt like this for years. I felt like this when I spent 10 grand on that holiday <laughs> and realized something very magical within that. Yet a lot of people say, I found that really hard, actually, James. I found it very hard to stop. I don't know what to do with my mind. I don't know what to do with these thoughts I'm having. And that's where the constructive rest process comes into play. And yeah, it's learning to feel body sensations and be with the breath. It's also learning some tricks to turn around that default mode network that I talked about. So there's also some psychology in there too. And also examining these roadblocks to rest that I talked about. So that's the first stage of resilience as far as I see it. Then the second is really key. I mean, I just met with someone this morning who's considering joining the program. And without giving too much away, they are, they were very upset that they're essentially just being diagnosed by a whole load of people at the moment who are kind of treating them more like an object than a person. And they've been working with a psychologist doing some version I would, I would interpret of cognitive behavioral therapy. So they've been together analyzing their thoughts and their feelings about life and trying to turn their mind around. And the physical symptoms of burnout are being addressed medically. And there's something between thinking and 
and the body as whether it's, you know, well or broken, which is our emotions. And so many people do not know how to access their emotions. They know how to think about them. So they might feel their hurt or their disappointment or their pain or their anxiety or their fear or their rage for mm, three seconds. And then they tell a really good story about it. And learning to actually inquire into emotion in the body. So that, that first stage of overwhelm where we're, we're learning to be with sensations, like sets the, the, the ground, sets the stage for actually getting in touch with what's here. What are you, what are you feeling? What are the emotions that are driving this overwhelm? What's in here? And that always is just a very magical process. And there's no one that I've worked with um, who doesn't have something in that storehouse, in the closet, to, to explore. And the more we feel soft and rested, the more that unconscious material may be very conscious to you, may, you may be just running from it, but conscious or unconscious, the more that material will show up. And there are some very simple ways, so simple, yet incredibly powerful, um, so much so that you know, people regularly account to me, I had therapy for years. I, you know, I explored all this stuff and then we did some of this work and wow, something, you know, I actually felt those feelings and resolved them. And it's really powerful. So there are these components of emotional intelligence that are, relate to a practice called yoga nidra, which I know you know, but for anyone that's listening and thinks that sounds weird, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of what I've been describing. It's a laying down relaxation practice that helps people with anxiety, uh, depression, trauma, sleep maladies, pain, by going through this process of uh, firstly being in touch with the body with subtle sensation and then starting to inquire into emotion and feeling. And there are some tools within the practice exploring opposites. We could maybe talk a bit about that. But uh, es essentially, there's this very powerful and potent protocol we could call it if you like i mean actually the way i learned it it is a protocol the person that, that taught me it has manualized it and um done research on it it's protocol for how to be with ourselves and a big part of it is is psychological well-being building ourselves back up building a healthy sense of self integrating and holding our whole self, including the bits that we may not want to show the world or we think are ugly or are messed up or, are, you know, that we fantasize that we could just put there in a cask under the, you know, down in the cellar or tuck it up in the loft and that, you know, I'm never touching that again because that was too painful. Actually, it's somewhat running the show for you. And this part of resilience is about being able to learn to welcome ourselves and listen to ourselves. And that then leads and stop me if you, if you know, if you need to ask anything or if there's any, anywhere else we need to go, but that then leads to this third pillar or third stage that I, I teach, which is okay. Now you've learned to listen to yourself and now you're no longer running scared from what's in here, which could be, you know, very gentle, very mild. could be just as the, the need to, to, Come back for your younger self who feels unloved in some ways, which can be very moving, very beautiful, very quickly resolved for people. Or it could, could be something bigger. 
But once that agreement is in place, now you've really started to listen to your inner world. Everything's a messenger. Everything has wisdom in it. Even your rage, even your, you know, your narky comment to somebody. If you actually spend some time getting down into it, there's some gold in there. And when we drop reactivity, when we're just running around unconscious and then these feelings flare up because they're not being listened to, when we can down-regulate them and get to them when they're a whisper instead of a shout, we are in a very different relationship with ourselves, which is about self-trust. I'm listening to this. There's this feeling that that's not the right way to go. Or this relationship I'm in is wonderful. Or it's really not good for me. It's really not serving me. And I'm no longer overriding it with my mind, with my, you know, with, with the sense-making, which is necessary because I'm not saying every feeling should be acted out upon, but everything needs to be listened to and inquired into. Everything is instructive, noble, valuable, trying to teach us something. That then gives us self-trust. So an exercise I do in, in the resilience program is challenging people for a week to stop saying, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know what to do. How about you do know? How about you do have knowing within you? Because so many of us disempower ourselves with that statement, I don't know. But my experience of working with people over a long period of time is that actually we do know inside. We may be cut off from our knowing. So when we can build that level of self-trust, we can really step out in the context of my program as leaders into the world. And I offer a, a, a whole other process of that, which is looking at, at building a kind of compass on your vision of and values where you'd like to go, some other sort of classical leadership stuff that's in there. But the juiciest bit from everybody was, wow, I love that. I, you know, challenging myself that, that there is a knowing in here. It's been really powerful. And then ultimately, as we continue to rest and stop, we get very close to this hypnagogic state, which is a, a between sleep and awake state. We could say we're kind of, we're much closer to our unconscious, we're closer to the dream world. Dreams come as images and feelings, primarily. And, and you know, anyone that says, oh, I don't dream, you do. You just don't remember it. Everyone dreams. That's how we process emotion. But this in-between state that we become very accustomed to is our seat of insight. So when you don't know, because, okay, it's, it's great to challenge people and say, what if you do know? But nobody knows all of the time. And maybe we need to inquire. But when we go inside, we get insight. And if you're listening to this, you, you might relate to this. So you've been trying to work out a problem and, you know, you've been putting your thinking cap on and writing down some ideas and maybe talked it out with a friend. And then you're doing the washing up or you're in the shower and bing, you suddenly know you get your insight. What is that? What is that? Well, it's, it's, it's often free associative thinking or non-thinking, um, not directly problem solving with the mind, but allowing some deeper knowing to rise up. Where does it come from? It's a mystery. I mean, there was, there's lots of theory about where that comes from, and I could go on a long one about that, but let's just say it's, it's a mystery, but that knowing is in there. And that's where your most creative, visionary, insightful, um, 
brightness and brilliance resides. It's not in your mind. It's not in your mind. And I think it's easy to look at, at, at the greats. I mean, you know, I can't think of any anyone greater in some ways than Einstein in terms of his his capacity to problem solve. He wasn't using just his brain for that. He regularly used this hypnagogic state. He wrote about it extensively. He was a meditator. That's where he got got his sparkle from. That's where he recharged. That's where he got his new inspirations and ideas. It wasn't from running around keeping up with everybody else on Instagram. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see his Instagram yeah. Admit, yeah, yeah, I'd like that. Too. <laughs> So when we're like meditating and doing our practices, like are we are we trying to cultivate that state where these thoughts, these kind of moments of inspiration can come to us? Or is it impossible to cultivate those states? Huh. Um, <laughs> based on the proposition that we all know, what, what do you know about that? What do you think? What do you think the answer is? Are you asking me what I think? Yeah, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just to spin it back. I find it. So on one hand, I think the stopping and the knowing ourselves is a key part of it, but it can't be everything. It's not like we're going to get into the state where we do just instinctively know everything. And I know that I have these moments that you're describing, and it's usually when I'm out on walks and just kind of switched off and, mm -hmm. and they do come. Mm -hmm but I'm not sure whether I'm able to cultivate that. And I think one of the things that you wrestle with in the book is there's so much of the more you try to rest and to do all these practices, the kind of less successful it's probably going to be. And I, yeah. I can feel that as well. It's definitely something that is going to just happen, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, they're, they're, everything I've spoken about may be tempting in certain ways to, to kind of go, Oh, that, that sounds great. And he, what he's saying is, if I just stop, then all of that's going to magically come. And it and it will, but you can't control any of it. No. Damn it, Jen. I mean, I wish I, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to clear my diary, meditate for mm -hmm. three days, and then all my life will be sorted. <laughs> and then I'll know the answer to every conundrum in my life. Yeah. But I... then... Go on. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, that the way that you described some of our lives at the start, that kind of constant rushing and doing and like we're all running towards something even if we're not sure what then I feel like there's no space there for these moments of insight these moments of bliss mm -hmm. mm. yeah and you know maybe it doesn't have to be insight maybe what you're going to get out of stopping is just that very simple thing you just be a nicer human being and you're going to have a nicer life because when you're rested when you go for a walk you're in wonder, particularly this time of year. May in England is just absolutely gorgeous. But if you're stuck in your head, you miss it all. So it could be that simple, your reason for doing it. But unfortunately, what I notice with, with people generally, and, and this has been an interesting thing through the pandemic and now the financial downturn, people know that, they're, you know that they can't put a price to their health. But the moment you say it's this much money, they're like, no, thank you. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so actually valuing stopping against something else, because it's not in our culture, it, it takes a big 
mindset shift. And that's what I'm really interested in showing people and helping people with is, is the embracing of the doing nothing without a goal, without an aim, without it having to be anything other than it is. And, and also try it experientially and see what it means for you because I'm sort of giving a pitch, aren't I? I'm talking about all of the things that, that, that can, might, and probably will happen when you rest. But in a simple way, one of the things that you guaranteed will uncover and remember, what I'm saying remember is that you have always known this. And um, this is the part where I can sometimes get moved because I, I find this very beautiful. You've always been okay. You have always been absolutely okay underneath all of the stress, the tension, the worry, all of the identities that grapple with certain parts of life or bits of you that feel like they do and don't fit in. Beyond all of your preferences, like I, I like Marmite, I dislike Marmite, I like this po- po- polit- particular political persuasion, I really don't like that one. Beyond all of the, all of your preferences, even beyond your sense of self, which doesn't exist, by the way, I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment, you've always been okay. And in the, in the way that, <clears throat> you know, my, my youngest is just passing through this innocence, but the, 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 there's an innocence to childhood. Kids know how to be in the moment. And I'm not talking by, about like mindfulness, be in the moment, you know, like pay attention to your breath. I'm talking about resting in presence. I'm talking about being so rested that you suddenly go from, oh, to, wow, this is beautiful. And there's nothing wrong. And that is because you're accessing the deepest part of yourself, your sentience, your conscience, your, uh, sorry, your conscience, not your conscience, your consciousness your awakeness, the part of you that has felt the same all of the way through your life, the part of you that you call you, but when you inquire into it, you realize that that it kind of can't be found. There's just this, this very still, quiet watchfulness that is absolutely there that I, I talk about round and round in the book of rest. And <clears throat> I cannot imagine anything better for anybody to uncover or recover or remember than this simple quiet essence that is absolutely okay. doesn't give a hoot about anything. But that doesn't seem to be what we're striving for with all this self-improvement and like, when did we lose that sense? And how do we shift the focus? Because it always feels like we're not enough and we need to morph, in my sense anyway, like we're mm. always striving for healing, for being a better person, a better friend. And it doesn't feel mm. like that is the aim. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let, let, let's let's talk about the relative and the absolute because, you know, we're potentially going down deep into this. But we're all learning and growing and improving. Every human being, even though it may not look like it, every human being is doing the best based on their circumstances, their life experience, how they're the conditioning, 
the life events that happened to them that crafted them to be either, you know, greedy and manipulative or benevolent and loving and likely to be a mix of all of those things. Every human being is evolving. We are evolving as a, as a species and we're constantly learning and growing. And I'm not saying stop that. I'm just saying, had you ever thought that that endless chasing may have its opposite, which is about, you know, learning to, to, um, what's the turn of phrase? I think it's from Suzuki Roshi said, you know, you're, you're beautiful as you are and you could use a little improvement. (laughs) So if we were to stop the improvement or just put it on pause and come back to this part of us that is okay, that's always felt okay. That's all right in the moment. As we continue to evolve and learn and grow, it may stop this, you know, I mean, in some ways, and this is, this is, pejorative as a judgment but i i view a lot of society like a dog chasing its tail mm. doing like spinning around in that kind of moment and when we realize finally that, that like these are these are five doorways that i'm going to describe that take us into that beingness into that essence into that awe and wonder and appreciation of where we are which i believe is you know a doorway to be accessed through rest one of them is about acquisition. Because when we, when we know our, our essence, I'm going to call it being, when we know our beingness, there's nothing that we could possibly have that would be better or greater than that being. It's absolutely full and complete. It doesn't need anything to improve it. And we know experientially, whether it's a Tesla car or an ice cream, very different price points for those two <laughs> two items, but they prevent, uh, sorry, they prevent, they provide a, a momentary or maybe even a midterm satisfaction. But ultimately it will fade and go, we are not going to find it in things. And, you know, it's true in relationship. If you're lucky enough to have a really nice marriage or partnership, you'll know that there are, that oscillates there are great moments of connection maybe we have a year or two or a month or two or just a good day and then the next day we disconnect it's difficult we can't put it there we can't put it in our success or status because they're subject to change too so this this beingness is inherently full and complete but we miss it and we go after stuff and and now we're sort of swapping out stuff for experiences more, I think. But whatever it is you think will complete you, it's going to fade. Sorry to disappoint. Is that you. a definite hundred percent? Hundred percent. I mean, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. All right, you can you can look at stuff that has a long life cycle, and say, for example, you know, your if you're listening to this and your home is precious to you. Well, there'll come a point where you can't make it up those stairs or, you know, someone buys the land next door and, you know, puts on uh, wild parties every weekend. Maybe you're a partier and you're thinking that sounds great. So, you know, there, there are, there's always ways our mind finds its way out of this, but the truth is it's not in the stuff. It's not where we get our satisfaction or, or it is where we get our satisfaction, but it's temporary and, and, and passing and fleeting. And I, I appreciate I'm sharing what seems like a belief system, but actually, if you experience it, if you start learning to stop 
and you touch into this wholeness that I'm talking about, this ease and, and deep well-being, you'll go, wow, yeah, actually, there's nothing else I need right now. And the other thing it's a great malady for is knowing, working stuff out, having to be ahead of the game. And it can allow us to drop out of our um, need to constantly figure out problems and be thinking and evaluating and judging, discerning. Our mind, which is very celebrated currently in our culture, is a, is a quite a limited tool, actually, in many ways. And its primary dysfunction is it divides takes this position and therefore if I take this position I reject that one but life isn't that simple you know life is actually full of pairs of opposites we can't experience love without feeling unloved in some ways we can't you know experience despair without happiness that everything has its polar opposite but the mind just takes one position that's its nature so it helps us drop out of that evaluative judging thinking and being the one that has to have everything worked out. And we can spend time just resting and not knowing. I don't know. I don't know, Jen. I mean, six months ago, my life was a, uh, um, it was a three ring shit show. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was bad. And, you know, my mind was catastrophizing at the time. Now things are really different. And when none of us know what's coming, that's the truth of it. And we can start to let go of the grasp of that through through being very rested. Um, our doership, uh, the idea that when we get it all done, I mean, if you're listening to this and you have a to-do list, what happens when you get your to-do list done? I don't think I've ever got to that position, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I mean, for those people that are, that are tuned in and you're thinking, yeah, I, I get my to-do list done every day. And what are you doing day? Oh, you make a new one. <laughs> You know, like we never, we never get it done. Mm. Yeah. So many of us, I know I regularly fantasize about when I get this done, when I get through this, when I get this complete, I'll be happy. Instead of how about being happy as you do it? Or how about finding a deep sense of restedness and ease amidst each moment that allows you to, 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 embody and, and enjoy that sense of completeness instead of this ideal that or idea that you know the finish line's over there and that's where I'm putting all of my my well-being and peace and ease um, and that that becomes then a beautiful game because we've all got to do stuff there's no escaping that but that it, it's not ruling and and not the idea that you know that once we get through it all, we'll be at ease. Because then if you do get it all done, you're faced with stopping. And if you don't know how to do that, then that will be really challenging. <laughs> and just going back to happiness that, that you mentioned there, and you were saying about the opposites and we can't really have one without the other. But I sometimes feel like we're all just striving for happiness all the time. And how realistic is that? And is that the goal? Or... Do we just have to have that acceptance that we can't have happiness without the sadness or the grief or the opposite? Yeah, that comes down to responsibility again, doesn't it? Uh, I, here's the kicker, everybody. <laughs> you cannot. You know, oh. I mean, you're not really as in control of life as you believe. I mean, that's something I, I'm going to write down just to, to share that with everybody because I have something 
that radically transformed my life when I when it really sunk in that I'd love to share before we, we end this conversation. But no, life's always going to be challenging in certain ways. And and if it's not right now and it is just the, the broad brushstroke of happiness, enjoy it, dance in it, sing, play. <laughs> is there a book coming? <laughs> No, I mean, not, All right, because it's not going to be like that. <laughs> no, no, definitely not another book coming. That <laughs> I said a but. <laughs> um, but recognize that it's the, the more we try and cling on to anything, the more it slips through our fingers. And, you know, what would happiness mean? It would slowly, there's a part of your brain that does the work of habituation, which means you get used to anything good or bad. It would be a tragedy if there was just happiness, <laughs> ironically, because you'd become numb to it and you would want more because what you're experiencing is happiness uh, was, you know, last week. Now you need much more of that experience to come to the same level of, you know, endorphin, dopamine released into your bloodstream. If you listen to Dr. Anna Lembeck, talk very articulately about how we break addiction that's the kicker like you have to lean into the sucky stuff too and you have to i mean that's part of resilience that's what i was talking about about emotional resilience if you do the mind thing and judge certain emotions as good certain emotions as bad and you avoid the quote-unquote bad ones you're missing out on half of who you are and half a life and that's a really bad strategy, actually. It's a really bad strategy for, in terms of psychological health and well-being, because we're all the things. And and the idealization that we may have, you know, if yeah, I want to be happy all the time, or I'm always going to be nice, or whatever it may be, isn't true. You know, we're 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 the whole range of human emotion, and if we're not embracing it, we're missing out on something actually very beautiful because. I get sad a lot and I cry and it's fine. And as I've been willing to embrace that sadness and, you know, tears and, and loss and grief and all of the difficult emotions that come when you, you know, lose people that you love, for example, um, their bodyguard, which is anger, <laughs> settles right down. You know, like anger is a, to, to me, like an attendant that looks at, you know, tries to, to, to be a bodyguard for shame, pain, or hurt, or disappointment, or sadness, or grief. And when we get in touch with those, you know, deeper emotional ranges, we're paradoxically happy. You know, when I can really get in touch with a quote-unquote difficult feeling and let it through, then, then comes the equanimity, the, the peace of mind. I'm at rest again. And then the next emotion can come through. So, yeah, I, um, the happiness ideal, I, I think we have to see through. I'm not saying don't strive to be happy. Like, don't, like, don't take <laughs> cynical, cynical person. But the, the idea that we could maintain a constant state of that against you know a new mindset which is a resilient mindset that's leaning in all of the time what's here what's here now what's life trying to show me or what's coming up within me that's noble and instructive that i can really get to know you had something an experience that you wanted to share mm, well uh, yeah uh, something 
which I think can fundamentally change our, our perspective of, of who we are and ourselves. So here goes. When you really look at your life properly, deeply, and honestly, you will realize that everything you take yourself to be, everything that makes up Jen or James, our preferences, the way that we react to certain situations or respond to others, whether we're good in this context or we're, we're, you know, we're not so skilled at this particular thing. Whatever it may be, we take very personally. That's me. That's my identity. But it just happened to you. And what I mean by that is that you are really just a byproduct of bumping up against life. Your caregivers, how they nurtured you or didn't nurture you, and no parent can get that perfect. You know, how much you were seen or loved in your upset will mean how willing you are to, you know, see yourself in your own upset. Whether you were praised or scolded for certain responses or reactions, all of that stuff that crafted who you are, and most of it happened in the first four years of your life, you are completely and utterly helpless to. I'm so sorry, but it's true. And, and I can feel my heart as I'm sharing that. And there is a tremendous freedom in that. Not to be taken as, well, now I've got a carte blanche to be, to be an enormous enormously horrible or offensive person. And, you know, this guy just said, oh, it's all right, because you're just a happening. I'm not saying that. Remember the piece about we're all learning and growing and evolving. And we can unravel from some of that conditioning. But it's not personal. It's not you. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. That's just what happened. And I think if... if we could all hold that for ourselves and realize that, that, that our lives are just an unfolding and that they're not to be taken as personally as we do. And that we're at that day-to-day level, yes, we can be in control, but deeper down, fundamentally, we don't have the kind of control that we believe. And we might be able to give ourselves a break. And we might be able to give those around us a break and stop all the judgment and the finger pointing and the, you know, all of that stuff and be more curious and compassionate. Wow, that person was being really difficult. I wonder what happened to them when they were three. You know, wow, that was, that was really difficult and I got really reactive. What's that about? Not, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed or ashamed of myself. But where did that come from? How can I under- understand that? How can I hold that? curiosity, compassion, interest, lovingness, tenderness. So it's that, it's that being happening, I think is, is such a potential freedom. And there's tremendous resilience in that because paradoxically, we no longer have to defend ourselves. We can take the armor off. I mean, sometimes it depends on the person we're with because if they're not in that mindset, maybe we need to, you know, stay behind the wall keep the defenses up, but with ourselves, for sure, we can be safe and curious and trusting. And, you know, we, we, we don't have to 
be shaming, blaming, feeling guilty, finger pointing all of the time and, and, and fall into more of a curiosity and an openness and uh, a willingness to explore, which I think is, is a tremendous resilience actually. And if you can imagine um, the, the thought leaders and, and leaders of our world that are currently responsible for the state of our planet, and that there could be a few simple unselfish shifts that were made that would turn things around in a radical way. If some of those people had this emotional intelligence that I'm talking about, had were rested, were creative, had insight, and realized that it's not personal and had done that work in themselves so that the reactivity when trying to negotiate, navigate, difficult subjects were transformed into an openness and a curiosity, we could create such change, such change on this planet, paradoxically from doing nothing other than learning to rest. And how did you come to develop your practices and this mindset? What's your journey? Because I'm now feeling quite a cliche with being like a burnt out lawyer who found yoga and things. And I wondered if you had a similar background and pattern and life experiences. Yeah, I I did the chasing money and <laughs> status in my 20s and found it very unsatisfying and um, burnt out of that. Not through stress, actually, through boredom more than anything else. I was just, I was working for a, a software company selling terminal emulation software, software, and it was terminally boring. It was just such a, you know, essentially just kind of woke up at my desk one day and went, what am I doing here? Like, what is this? Well, like, what, where, where is this going? And then I went soul searching for some time. Uh, around the planet initially and then realized that what I was looking for was inside. And that led me down into, into the path of being quote unquote spiritually curious. And then I was dragged kicking and screaming to a, um, <laughs> thank you, Mary. Maybe you listened to this at some point, dragged <laughs> kicking and screaming by an, a, a, a long-term ex-girlfriend who wanted to go to this yoga place. And I hated it. I hated it so much. And then I led down at the end of this physical class, which I was really rubbish at uh, and struggled with, you know, I was like, I should be better at this, all of that stuff. And fell into this deeply calm and, and peaceful experience. And then I really wanted to know what that was. And I spent the last two decades figuring it out. <laughs> Have you figured so, it out yet? <laughs> Nearly that. Yeah. I mean, well, have I figured it out yet? No, I mean, not not in that there is a, <sighs> let's just talk about that, like the proposition that the, the kind of practices I'm talking about may have offered, which is some sort of idea of enlightenment or getting to a perpetually happy place or undisturbed. No, no. And I, and, and I question whether that is, is a reality in a, in a big way. But um, do I know the calm quietness of myself? Sometimes. And that's enough for me. And it's made such a big change in my life that it doesn't need to be perfect. And um, I would like to live out, you know, however many good years that I have on this planet, you know, dancing between having enough space in my life 
to enjoy that that stillness and quietness and to touch back into it and dancing that stillness into life and enjoying watching my kids grow and going on adventures and you know sharing dinner with a with a trusted friend and helping people with the work that I do and you know going shopping at Aldi all of those things I mean look my heart opens in the funniest places I regularly go to Aldi and um I'm just struck by the gorgeousness of humanity. And that wouldn't be happening were I not in these rest practices that I'm talking about. So yeah, they make a they make a tremendous difference in my life and with the thousands of people that I've helped and been on this journey with to 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 show them what's there. And so many people have come through particularly from other disciplines and then subdisciplines within the yoga world and said oh my god it's so nice to arrive here when i heard you say there's nothing i have to do and that i'm okay as i am and that there's nothing that i need to fix or change but i could just be interested and curious as to watch what's here oh it was like coming home i could finally rest and and give up that incredible restlessness that's been in me and that has been instilled in me by by the world and it's been so nice to learn how to stop. So it's it's that that I would love to to um, continue to help people in the world with. And um, there's only so much to go around because I'm going to be sitting on my ass doing nothing as much as I can too. <laughs> <laughs> and just going back to those kind of practices, you offered one which was just sit and do nothing for five minutes or stop and do nothing for five minutes. Like, is there any, any big secret that we then have to, or mystery where we have to go do further steps to kind of integrate this into our life? Or is this just going to happen automatically or organically that if we've taken this time? Mm. Well, there are two paths to take. I, I kind of alluded to them earlier when I talked about structured rest practices and then unstructured rest. They're both really important. So the structured rest practices, I've kind of talked through, you know, broadly through a process of what I believe builds tremendous inner resilience. And some of those practices are meditative. And then I've also talked about the doing nothing. And you're going to have to work out who you are and what you resonate with. But if you're willing to try doing nothing and you can move, move through it with enough resilience and tolerance to the discomfort that will happen, you will be, you know, your, your need for a dopamine hit will have you reaching for your phone within 15 minutes, for sure, if you're a regular phone user. And you will maybe even find yourself halfway through making a cup of tea with your hand in the biscuit jar before you even know it. So they're not easy, but the, the, the willingness to, to do those nothing-based practices will be radical in terms of how they, they change your perspective. So I, I, I feel that, um, that there is something very simple here that doesn't need a whole load of instruction, yet the mindset and the capacity to really get a hold of it and embody it and live in it are the kind of practices that I've talked about that are structures and, and and some of the ideas that and philosophies that I've shared with you, like, you know, welcoming, being with our emotions, we're all doing our best. We are just happening. 
those things, if you've listened to them and they've resonated with you, come and find me and explore them because by having them really settled deeply inside you, you'll have much more access to the nothing. So I think they interplay with each other. And, you know, if it were that simple, everyone would just be stopping and doing nothing and, you know. You wouldn't need know. to write a book about it. Yeah, exactly. I'd be, be, if I'm honest with you, I'd be happy to be out. That would be okay with me because if the world was at, was at rest, um, you know, super. That would be really great. I think I'd be able to find a place within that. Uh, and I'd be very happy. But um, I believe it needs some coaching and some mindset and some um, some opening to possibilities. And the thing that I, I see the most with people, what tends to open, is their willingness to embrace life and to be alive and to, you know, and, and to actually, you know, feel good within themselves or, you know, this is interesting. We were talking about happiness earlier. Do you know that melancholy by its definition is the, the happiness of being sad? Which <laughs> I'm I really... just thinking of Eeyore now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, why, why not? Why not just recognize, you know, if we're willing to embrace the wholeness of life, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And it's going to be such a shift. So I, I'm not sure whether I fully answered your question, but I believe on that both are true. That just being able to do nothing will be enough for you, and then maybe you need some help and some some way into really deepening that because it's taken me 20 years to really get to a to a to a deep sense of that. And I believe that there are much quicker pathways. I mean, there was one guy that came through my resilience program, and he really disliked the word meditation, didn't like yoga. He'd been looking for all this stuff. And then he found the, the whole rest proposition that I had. And, you know, he kind of came in saying, I'm terrified of this. I, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to make of it. And at the end of it, you know, he said, wow, this has been amazing because you've shown me something that I've known all my life that I've often trusted in, but didn't have a structure or a forum to understand it. Thank you so much for showing me back home to this gift that I've always had. And now I've been using it. My life has opened up and changed massively and my self-trust and inner listening has just, you know, radically transformed and that's all taken place. But I've always known this. Um, so just thanks for bringing me home to it. Well, thank you for your practices and your words that I've had when I've been on your sessions have still resonate with me. I love the one where... You kind of just, I felt like I was always fighting with my cluttered mind. And then I remember in one of your practices, we were lying there and you were just like, just thank you for all you do mind, <laughs> but I don't need you right now. I'm just going to feel this. I'm not thinking. And and I still return to those kind of words just as I'm in Aldi or walking around and and having, yeah, like dropping that fight and dropping that resistance, I think. Thank you for all you do. How's the best yeah, place? for people to find you and and your work well don't worry about it because obviously i'm sponsored by audi so um, <laughs> <they've> now... <laughs> um best place to find me so um deeprest.com www.deeprest.com and then there you can find out about the resilience program there you can join the weekly offerings that uh i know marcus your partner plugs into mm -hmm. Um, 
And there's a few other bits and bobs coming up there for sure. It's the resilience program that I'm really putting my heart into. And you can also just spend an hour with me. I'm just developing something called the rest coach, which is going to be like a, a, an hour to get through some of those roadblocks that I talked about of one-to-one coaching. And then a whole series of practices that you can do for yourself. So there's some stuff, juicy stuff coming too. But um, yeah, be delighted to hear from you if you'd like to explore more of the work. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and insight today. It's been fascinating. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.